I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and you just heard about our guests, Linda Bloom and Charlie Bloom. Linda, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thanks Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Now there's, there are many books and I've, I've listed them all in our introduction, but the one that just came out is That Which Doesn't Kill Us, so <laughs> which is a hefty title. <laughs> so let our listeners know, um, you know, what was kind of the genesis of this book and what it's about. Well, uh, this was actually the first book that we ever wrote, and it's over 25 years ago, but we put it away um, because we wanted to have more recognition and stat- stature in the field. And so we published the other three books, which are all self-help books, before we put this very personal story out there. And Mm. this is several years in the 80s when um, Charlie was terrible workaholic working for a corporation. and, And I was with the three little kids and how difficult it was. And we really almost broke our family up during that time because the corporation was demanding so much of Charlie and we just fought because I wanted him to quit and he didn't want to quit and I just couldn't get off of my position and he couldn't get off of his. And we struggled, but we did pay attention and we were good students and it has a happy ending. <laughs> so uh, it's an inspirational story for the for the reader who takes the time to take a look at it because there are going to be some ordeals that we're going to need to go through in life, whether they're relationship, financial, professional with our kids or health or whatever it is, and how to be as graceful during that difficult time as possible so that we come through stronger on the other side. I think it's interesting too that how people view marriage seems like it's really changed over over the years and I think it's funny that you you wrote this so long ago and then you had all this relationship of yours to happen and here you are <laughs> releasing it now so yeah you have lots of years of experience to to 
coal together and pull into this. So how have you seen kind of society's view of what marriage really means since you the book was your first inception to, you know, releasing it? Well, the um, as you may know, the divorce statistics haven't really changed all that much in the years since we wrote the book originally. But I do think that there's there's been a shift in um, the attitudes about marriage. Fewer people, a smaller percentage of people are, are getting married. More people mm-hmm. are opting to um, to be in relationships without formalizing the uh, commitment. And and I think that there has been a, um, a, a general kind of reconsideration on the part of a lot of people about whether marriage is really necessary in order to uh, to create a healthy, sustainable relationship, and even whether or not there's any real value in it. And some people uh, believe that uh, marriage can actually be something that can be a negative factor in in people's relationships. So one of the reasons that we we wanted to um, to, to write this book uh, and, and to put it out there is um, to both affirm some of the concerns that people have that marriage and creating um, uh, a healthy relationship can indeed be a daunting process. It is not for the faint of heart. It's, <laughs> it's not something that... Um, you know, anybody can just do. It doesn't matter whether you marry somebody that you really have a lot in common with or whether you marry somebody who comes from an entirely different background, you're going to have challenges. But, but we, you know, we wanted to kind of make the point of the universality of um, differences being present in relationships and sometimes having to go through uh, ordeals but we also wanted to, to, to make two other things really clear. And one was that um, the differences don't have to define you. They don't have to prevent you from experiencing a fulfilling life, even more fulfilling uh, than you possibly could if, if you were not married. And we also wanted to let people know about some of the ways that you can get complete with some of the the difficulties that may come up in your relationship, the challenges. So we wrote about, um, you know, the the, the complete title of the book is uh, That Which Doesn't Kill Us, How One Couple Became Stronger at the Broken Places. And that was really our experience that we did individually and collectively, we both became stronger. Our bond became stronger. Uh, our, 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 our commitment became stronger, not despite the difficulties, but in large part because of the difficulties and because we were able to learn um, largely from the help of some really quality support that we got, we were able to learn how to exploit the growth potential in, in dealing with some of the difficulties that can can come up. And we wanted to share that with people because there are so many people who really, you know, don't trust that it's it's worth, you know, 
the trade-off that it is. I mean, there's definitely some trade-offs that you have to make when you get married. But as far as we're both concerned, the the benefits that can come from this are infinitely worth more than uh, any effort that you have to put into it. That's, I love that, and one of the one of the reasons is uh, when I'm listening to we have so many listeners that are, you know, in psychologically abusive relationships, physically abusive, and so on, and and uh, you know, life or death situations in in oftentimes in a marriage, and they'll get out of this relationship that obviously they need to and um and immediately want to get into another one and i always think well i hear that some of it is that there's this fantasy about how marriage is going to somehow be this fairy tale all of a sudden all of your you've reached some plateau or some grand peak is a better better said way of of life that you've gotten married and then you know you don't have problems from there on out and <laughs> after my own 31 year relationship um i think oh my gosh heck no when you get married you are you go to work that's right. You know, we wrote a book about that, too. We wrote a book called <laughs> Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love. And exactly. We were, we were attempting to bust up the myths that people have, these romantic myths, and they're not all young people in their 20s, either. They're people mm-hmm. in their 30s and 40s and 50s who are still... And 60s going to find the right person, the soulmate out there, and they're not going to argue, and they're going to just know everything that they need and meet their needs without having to ask. And, you know, we made the point in the book that you don't have to give up these myths, but you do want to examine them and not just buy into them without taking a good hard look to see how they're working for you. Because when you look at the statistics, do you know the national statistic is five, 50% of marriages are ending in divorce, but the second marriages, it's even worse than that, that 60% of those aren't making it. So they still haven't learned some of the basics about how to create a relationship, starting with it's not about finding the perfect partner. It's about becoming the partner of your dreams. And then rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. And both of you (laughs) are at cultivating good negotiation skills and good conflict management skills and really become expert on what your partner is about in this life and find out what they want and help them to get it. And there's so many components that make up the beautiful mosaic that a good, healthy, wholesome marriage is composed of. Absolutely. So beautifully said, the mosaic. I love that. And it's so true. It's it's like, it's an Olympiad event. It's an Olympic event to get right. <laughs> to, to be married. You have to be an, a relationship athlete. Mm-hmm. And I I find that, that fascinating. That term. Uh, that, that, that's a <laughs> It's a great term. I haven't haven't ever heard that, but it it really is true. And and you know it really does help if you have been in training 
Um, <laughs> because mm -hmm. most people don't come into marriage or committed partnership um, all, already fully cooked, already fully <laughs> right. fit for the challenge. <laughs> it's all on the exactly. job training. Oh my gosh, it's so, I, I mean, I remember really believing, absolutely believing and was profoundly disappointed and resentful and bitter that my husband did not meet all my needs. And that was his job. <laughs> I mean, I was so, I the number of years and the punishment that he got from me for that, you know, belief that was fully supported by society. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What a about that. We laugh about it now, but it's not so funny when we're caught in those. <laughs> when you're in it. Yeah. And one of the I ones know. that me up for years was if he really loved me, he would know what I needed and then wouldn't have to ask. You know, the myth <laughs> of mind reading. And I was... <laughs> really convinced that that was true. It never even occurred to me to question it. And I, I knew he loved me some. I just didn't think he loved me very much because, of course, if he loved me deeply, he would know. And I didn't realize that I was a coward and that I didn't want to get vulnerable and stick my neck out and ask for what I wanted. And it was like I mad. I finally busted that myth up for myself. I know it's so amazing. That's what I mean by a relationship athlete, because that's how hard it is. I mean, you are, when you are conjoined in that way with another human being, you literally are going through, you know, the Iron Man, Iron Woman, you know, journey <laughs> with another person. And it's it's not for the faint of heart. So yeah, I, I tell people, oh my gosh, please, I don't know what it what it is that you're dating for. Like, can we stop and look at why you're you're dating? And I'm not saying there's nothing that there are things wrong with dating. I just think let's let's examine why you're doing this, um, and and at least come at it from a honest perspective. Otherwise, you're going to walk into yet another. Um, partnership that is just going to end in heartbreak and it doesn't necessarily need to. That's right. But people have this magical thinking that just because we love each other, it's all going to work out. And they don't realize that this is one of the most challenging things that we ever do in our life is to develop our skill set so that we're eligible for a great relationship and develop the qualities that are required for a mature, responsible, self-disciplined, courageous adult to be eligible for a great relationship. Yeah, I know. I, I remember someone saying to me, um, well, you just deserve so much better. And they'll still, you know, some people will still say that now. And I think, hmm, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean so much better? Um, because I don't take that as a reflection of my spouse. I take that as a reflection of myself. <laughs> um, 31 years, a child, 
you know, uh, this partnership forever. I, we get to work on stuff from a hundred years ago because now we can talk about it where we couldn't before. And I think what could get better than that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that we, we try to communicate to people that we're, we're working with, particularly those people who have all, all but given up on the, um, you know, the possibility of creating a, a really exemplary relationship. And they, they feel um, like it's just not worth the trouble and very, very few people, right. if anybody has it, and it's just, I'm really better off just cutting my losses and lowering my expectations. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. And so the, the, you know, the two things that we really want to leave people with when, when in our books and when we're working with them or teaching seminars is, um, yes, you're right. It does, take, uh, it does take work. It does take effort, particularly in the early stages. But as you begin to neutralize some of those old, patterns and replace them with healthy responses, then the effort that it takes when it becomes more natural to when, when your default is to being um, open and curious and supportive rather than being mm -hmm. defensive and antagonistic, when the default mm -hmm. changes, then you don't experience it as having to do all this work because it's no longer requiring the same kind of effort that it takes to neutralize the old patterns. And so, so we want them to see that, in, you know, that, yeah, it is going to take you some work, but it's not forever. And, um, and what you stand to gain, this is the second thing that we, we want people to understand. What you stand to gain is really infinitely more than you can even imagine right now. The, the possibilities that are available to people who can take this challenge on consciously and intentionally and support each other in each one doing their own work. Um, what there is to be gained is really even, even more, even more than, you know, what the fairy tales say. Mm -hmm. It's more than just <laughs> the ever after. It's about living at a level of well-being in your life that goes beyond what you ever dared to hope for. Yeah, people people have really um, gotten cynical, which I totally understand. And being in the mental health field, I'm hearing I hear so much about the the worst case scenarios that sometimes I even think, oh my gosh, 
is do I even know any really happy, healthy couples that really work on their relationship? Do I know that many? I know a few. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you answer that to people that like you, you had brought up before, you know, that just feel like I just give up because it's, it's not going to happen for me. I must be someone that's just supposed to be not, you know, partnered with someone. Well, you know, there's a lot of despair and there's a lot of hopelessness and feeling uh, defeated, having risked in relationship and being disappointed. And so the disillusionment is um, really rampant. And Charlie and I had been in the field for a long time, interfacing with many troubled couples, bitter, angry, shut down, you know, full of hopelessness and despair. And people would say things to us like, I don't know one happy couple. I don't even believe that it's possible. And um, I I don't know any couples that I would want to have a relationship like them. And so right. we heard so much of this naysaying. And I would find myself saying, look, I'm really happy in my marriage. It's the best, most glowing part of my life. And in fact, I know some couples who are really happy too. They do exist. And so Charlie and I got this idea that we were going to go and interview them. And we interviewed (laughs) 50 couples that were glowingly happy. It's interesting that you you use this um, relationship athlete metaphor, because I sometimes refer to these people as the gold medalists of marriage. Ah, there we go. We have a whole Olympic theme going here. Yeah, and we we interviewed these couples. We only uh, put 27 of the couples in the book, not because they were the happiest ones, but because they illustrated Meg. And there were themes that went through all of the couples. They'd all had adversity of some kind. Um, some people lost the family fortune. One of the couples was actually homeless for a while. They had health crises and professional crises, and they confessed affairs to us that they recovered from, but they used all that crappy stuff in their life to bloom out of. They used the ordeals as growth opportunities, and they were all hungry learners. And so we let them tell their secrets of success in their own words. And they were a real creative bunch so that the stories were different. But there were these themes that went through about sealing the container and really making the relationship a priority and, you know, working out their commitment muscles and learning how to be forgiving and tolerant and accepting and being curious about the differences and why am I attracted to somebody who's so different than I am and then try to make them more like me. How about if I learn from the differences (laughs) rather than trying to do the home improvement plan and make them into the, you know, vision of what I (laughs) they ought to be so that I'll be happy with them. And they had been together for an average of 31 years. And so these weren't the starry-eyed, just starting out, still mostly an infatuation stage. They had been in the trenches and doing the work. And they had all reached out to get good 
help in the form of workshops, counseling, individual counseling, couples counseling, sex therapy, all kinds of things, because they knew that they had learning deficits where they hadn't learned some of the important things that they needed to know from their own families, and they had to fill in the gaping holes that were missing to be eligible to have a great relationship. And it was really right. an enlivening, you know, part of our professional development to see that there really are a lot of happy couples out there, but that they didn't lock into that wonderful relationship. They earned their way in. There you go. Earned your way in. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny how, you know, my partnership, uh, we've been batted around and looked upon poorly and all these things for some of the things that we've gone through. And some of the people that really gave us the most grief are on their third and fourth marriage. And and I'm like, we're still here. <laughs> With Clint, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying we're better, just we're, we still are locked in and and doing our thing and deepening our understanding and uh you know continuing to call, you know first person you speak to and the last person before you go to bed so um you know it it it's all like you said it's all that stuff that happened in between like yes the the honeymoon period is wonderful for a lot of people and then there's the marriage, <laughs> which is all that work. And then I think you can come to this place where you just glow together. You, you've, you've grown and you're continuing to grow, but you also glow together. And that, that part's fun. That part's fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's your person who's really got your back I thought about that this morning as I was preparing to you know think about you guys I always take a little bit um, to think about who I'm going to be speaking with and I thought oh yeah you know um, this is work to be really proud of especially since my mate and I both come from parents with multiple divorces um, you know that that were and we're the solid ones now. Years later, years ago, we were horrible people according to our parents. And, you know, now we're like the ones that they call when they're on their whatever relationship. <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of satisfaction in that, isn't there? <laughs> mm -hmm. A little bit. You know, I always say to people, look, I'm not I'm not saying you have you can't be happy unless you're married. I don't think that at all. There are plenty of people out there that don't choose to get married and Absolutely. they're perfectly Everybody. happy. Yeah. Yep. It's just if you Everybody. Yeah, it's like have respect for the people that do really slug it out and get to this other place. There's a lot of um you know, <laughs> the Olympic uh, journey to get to that good place takes so much understanding and muscles, vulnerability muscles that get uh, that need to be explored and excavated. You know. Yes, we're going to celebrate 50 years together this month. Oh, good for you! And we're both really enjoying it. And uh, there's a lot of ease, and there's a lot of 
camaraderie and harmony, um, plenty of trust and security, but not too too much security. You know, the security and predictability can be overdone. That we still right. have events. We're flying off for another international trip this week, and and uh, those adventures keep the sparkle alive and the co-creative mm-hmm. process of writing more books and blogs and our creative juices are flowing. So I think that there is so much available to couples, whether they cohabitate or married. I'm kind of an old-fashioned girl, so I think sealing the container with marriage has benefits, even though I think it's going out of vogue these days. But right. I think that the the effort that is putting into it to make it wonderful and alive and vital and creative, um, that the benefits so far outweigh that which that you struggle through and the disappointments and the letdown and begin again and begin again and begin again, that um, I feel a little sad when I talk to some people who have lowered their expectations down so much. And one of the things we do when we're teaching our classes is to reach high, let your imagination be big, take that vision that you had maybe years ago out of mothballs, dust it off, you know, fluff (laughs) it up. It's okay to reach high, have a big, glorious vision, as long as you're willing to put the effort in and that you've got an intention to match. So, you know, people are afraid to have big expectations because they think that sets them up for disappointment. But I think if you don't have a big big vision and have expectations of having a full, robust, interesting life with your partner, that you, you have a ceiling that you reach just because of your belief system. Good point. As we close today's talk, how would you say doing the work and staying in it dribbles into positivity into the rest of your life and your other relationships? Well, I absolutely agree with that. And I know from my own experience that 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 is the case because we're we're not actually when we do this work that we keep referring to we're not actually working on the relationship we're we're actually working to become the person that we were really born to be we're mm-hmm. we're doing the work that it requires to be able to live authentically and when we live authentically it does more than simply impact on the one area that we're focused on because we're bringing a different self into every domain of our lives. So it it shows up in uh, not only our primary relationship, but but in all of our relationships. It shows up in different areas of our life. It shows up in in our work, in our our career, in uh, our financial well-being in our health because we we are really kind of discarding the false image that we all learn to create and and living 
authentically so that we can really know and fulfill our most important needs rather than the desires of the ego being in charge and making all those decisions that we've turned that authority over to uh, our authentic self. So in some ways, it, it's actually almost a spiritual practice mm -hmm. that we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. About. Absolutely it is. I wouldn't even say almost. It is a spiritual practice. I mean, and it's the ultimate act of selflessness. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it, the paradox is that in living in a way that is selfless, we actually come to find our true self. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, not, uh, I, I like the word self-full, which I stole from somebody, probably Oprah, but um, I, <laughs> I love that term because um, us caregivers in the world tend to give and give and give and give, and then we forget, you know, well, you got to give to yourself or you're really not doing anybody any good. <laughs> right. That's why you got to put that. your own uh, mask on first in the plane <laughs> if you need oxygen. Yep. Before you put it on anybody else. Exactly. And there's such a great thing about knowing, um, you know, when I was coming back from my walk, my walk this morning, I thought, who in the world do I absolutely trust? Like, hands down, um, you know, just trust. They are never going anywhere. Totally have my back. Absolutely loves me. And that would be Michael, my partner. So um, I called him and I told him this. And he was like, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> and I'm like, but I'm having a moment here thinking of this. And he said, well, okay, have your moment. And I agree. <laughs> and, I need to go walk, and I need to go walk the dogs. Love you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and it's okay. I know how he feels. I don't need him to be there with me in my moment of, you know, or get mad at him. Oh, my gosh, the stuff that we would get mad at each other about that now we laugh about being older. Like, what on the energy that we spent on <laughs> that kind of stuff was just, I mean, obviously we learned from it. But, yeah, there's there's something powerful, very powerful about that later. Well, tell our listeners, I know you're going to be, you're on the West Coast of the United States, but you travel all over the world, and you do something also on the East Coast. So give our listeners an idea of what's coming up for you. Every January, we fly from California to uh, Massachusetts has a wonderful growth and learning center called Kripalu, K-R-I-P-A-L-U, and it's up in the Berkshire Mountains of Massachusetts. It's right across the street from Tanglewood, where they have the big music festival all summer. Mm. Yeah. And we don't get there in the summer where they have the musical festival. We come in the winter when it's snowy and cold, but we love Kripalu and it's a wonderful place and the food is fabulous. And we'll be teaching secrets of great relationship there in January. So if people go to our website, which is bloomwork.com, singular, B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K.com, they will see where we're teaching on the West Coast, on the East Coast. Sometimes we take people on 
international trips and go on magical mystery tours. And if they want to be on our mailing list, we have a free ebook called Going for the Gold, which is about reaching high for the best relationships can possibly be. And we'd love to have them on our email list. And we send out a booster shot of inspiration at least once a month. <laughs> I love that, a booster shot. Well, thank you both so much. We're going to chat for a little bit after, so don't hang up. But uh, I wanted to tell you both, thank you so much for coming on uh, my show. I know you hadn't heard about us. We reached out to you because we love your work. And um, actually, the whole team was like, you have to interview them, Kristen. <laughs> so um, thank you for agreeing to do that because I know how busy you both are. So thank you very much. Delighted. I'm glad you had us on the show, and I'll be happy to do it again sometime. Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you, and thank you to our listening family for another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.